Since 1983, Copenhagen Modern Furniture has showcased Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories. Now, at Copenhagen, save $500 on any stressless signature or a leg comforter recliner model. For more ways to save, shop online at copenhagenliving.com or visit the showroom on Barker Lane. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary since 1983. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm Addie Broyles. And I'm Alyssa Vidalis, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake and the offices of the Austin American Statesman. Caleb Zamet loves toys. He loves collecting toys, talking about toys, and playing with toys, even when his young son isn't around. The owner of the Austin Toy Museum started seriously buying and selling toys when he was a teen, and a few years ago, he turned this passion into a nonprofit, which recently moved into an upstairs space at 3rd and Congress in downtown Austin, where Alyssa and I interviewed him for this week's show. James Gregg is as enthusiastic about skee-ball as Caleb Salmon is about the history of Star Wars figurines. James is a visual media editor here at the Statesman by day and an axe-throwing, dreidel-spinning, skee-ball-throwing champion by night. Austin is an incubator for offbeat sports leagues, and James loves nothing more than a new challenge, so we brought my boss into the studio to talk about why he's drawn to these niche competitions and how they've helped him develop a formula for success in all areas of life. But first, let's take an audio tour of the Austin Toy Museum and hear from one of Austin's most passionate toy collectors about how toys have changed over the years and why he's as fascinated with them as ever. Aha! I knew you looked familiar. I just knew it. A robot never forgets, you know. And I hope you have not forgotten how this program works. Caleb, thanks for being on. I love you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. We are having so much fun strolling around the Austin Toy Museum, located downtown at 3rd and Congress, upstairs above... La Traviata. La Traviata, that's that's right. So up here, we have discovered a treasure trove, a literal treasure trove of old toys and some newer toys that millennials such as myself would I'm, I'm having so much fun flashing back through my childhood. Um, Caleb, how did you get into this toy collecting business in the first place? Ooh, I think when I was like five, I started taking all my brother's Star Wars toys that he didn't want anymore. And that really started my collection. So I was very obsessed with Star Wars. So I was like, I don't know, 12 or so. And then I started getting in other toy lines and buying all them up and being a completist, trying to complete all the lines. Even as a teen? Yeah, a teen, college, till today. And so. this was kind of the cusp of the pre-internet era yeah well it was i really got heavy into collecting right when ebay started to get popular because it was really easy to get toys How once convenient. ebay came up yeah <laughs> got big into transformers right when ebay came out and luckily they were cheap back then so yeah. i was able to get a full collection of them so what would you say you've got a full star wars collection full transformers collection you had a wwe stash that just came in yeah wwf back then oh that's all right i see some uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles on the wall yeah sort of walk us through sort of the genres of toys that you have uh in the space here well primarily i collect 80s and we primarily display 80s so it's a lot of he-man star wars gi joe transformers and then we also have some barbies uh then we also go into other lines outside of the 80s uh we have like 1960s G.I. Joes, 1960s Barbies, uh, Little Kittles, Migos from the 70s. Uh, pretty good gamut of uh, all the toys in between the 60s to 
early 2000s, I would say. We're also looking at some old pull toys. Yeah, these are all on loan right now from another collector. Mm, They're beautiful. These are 1920s to 1950s pull strings. So can you describe these for us? Uh, Primarily, they're Disney, but then they also go into interesting things like a Wells Fargo uh, little trolley and uh, a couple other different lines. But this is a very nice and pristine collection. It's hard to find old pull strings in this good a condition. When you, uh, you said mostly from the 80s, what is it about the era that kind of sparked a lot of toys that we have now? Uh, Well, a lot of the deregulation of, uh, they were able to actually turn the, cartoons into long commercials mm-hmm. in the early 80s so that helped like build a lot of the toy lines and a lot of the marketing and it just kind of exploded in the 80s and gave us kind of a golden age of toys so commercials or toys couldn't be marketed to kids in that format until the 80s right there was something with the 1970s regulations as far as uh if you were marketing a toy it had to um have some sort of realism i believe in the commercial but then uh the uh, cartoons, early 80s, things were deregulated. I'm not too keen on what all happened. But well, it's like the cable boom, so there yeah. were just more shows and more characters. And I imagine that toy production also improved during that time. The types of plastics, the type of articulation you could get from a toy manufacturing facility. Right, and uh, toys were downscaled because in the you know 60s and 70s, they were mostly 12-inch. So in the early 80s, they were downscaled to mostly 3 and 3 fourths with Star Wars starting off. So that was mostly because of the oil crisis in the 1970s and petroleum costing too much. So that's why they were downscaled. Can we talk about the museum a little bit? I, in order to get here, we had to walk up a bunch of stairs. You yeah. mentioned it is in front of the, or above like an Italian restaurant. But it seems so much bigger than I assumed it was. And also, it's not the only thing up here, right? Right. We also have Hops and Heroes, the comic book store on the other side, mixed in with our arcade. So if you come in, you can also buy some comic books. You can check out some of their statues. And then we also have a free player arcade as part of the admission. It's mostly 80s uh, arcades. We try to do like a top 10. So we have Mortal Kombat, Pac-Man, and uh, Centipede, and a couple other good ones. Alyssa and I are totally going to play Pac-Man before we leave. So I know that this is not the first location of the Austin Toy Museum. Can you tell me a little bit about the journey of, you know, when it started and how you switched places? Yeah, uh, we basically started in 2015 finding, like, support and community to support us. A lot of the local comic book stores like Austin Books helped support us and bring us up. And then we were able to run a unsuccessful Kickstarter to start the museum. But out of that, we still got donations where people were like, ah, we still want to help out and we'll still give money. So that helped us find our first location in 2016, and we were on East Caesar Chavez. So, What's the point of having a toy museum? Uh, sharing toys with the community. So Austin can have its own toy collection, basically. You also have some really neat panels, too, around here that sort of explain the evolution of the brands and the different types of toys, how they're made. Um, you, The space also functions as a meetup space for other toy collectors in the city. You said you had a G.I. Joe meetup recently. Yeah, Cobra that. Law, the G.I. Joe group around here, meets up to uh, trade and also sell some of their toys. We've had one event this past summer, and we'll probably have another one at some point whenever all the guys can get together. 
Okay, we are looking at the Transformers. This is near and dear to my heart because my kids were both really into Transformers. You have a young son who is into uh, YouTube toy reviews and things. Talk to us about sort of how these toys can become so iconic and they extend beyond the generation. I mean, all these toys came out in the 80s, but they're just as popular now as they ever were. Right. This was the initial run of all the G1 Transformers, and it's still continuing today with their popularity. And I know the Bumblebee movie's coming out this summer. I mean, this winter so it'll uh, continue with that but uh all the marketing and creating iconic characters which originated from ju- just random japanese car robo toys it's pretty interesting so how has the internet influenced the toy collecting community beyond just the buying and selling of toys beyond the buying and selling well it also creates a community and uh, lots of people come together to make sure that there's good guides for toys. There's a really good author named Mark Bellamo who kind of leads the front with uh, toy as being a toy historian and making sure that all the documentation is kept and that we have really good guides to you know make sure our collections are all complete and we have every little piece for us completest. Speaking of collections, there've got to be thousands of toys in here, but everything is scrunched up together but yet so individualized you can point them out can you tell us how you can go about stacking all these things together without being a chaos oh well we have lots of really good volunteers who help us organize all the toys so luckily i'm not doing this entirely by myself but we do like to show off the majority of a collection we actually have three times this amount of toys in storage so we can't display everything at once we try to rotate and we also try to not over visually stimulate people with what's in the case but it happens at times. We just want to display too much of the collection. How many toys total would you say you have and the museum have? Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> We're talking tens of thousands? Yeah, tens of thousands. Uh, I won't tell you the overall value of everything, but it's, it's pretty high. I can't imagine. Triple digits. Ooh, yeah, up in there. <laughs> Not too bad for a millennial who loves toys. Yeah, yeah. It's paid off so far collecting, and it's fun. So, so Caleb, you have some holy grail toys here. Can right. you tell us about some of those? Well, the biggest one we have is the G.I. Joe USS Flag, which is the largest playset or largest toy ever made. It's seven feet long and it hangs from our ceiling. We're still reassembling it right now um, after the move, but it's coming along very nicely. And then we also have G.I. I mean, uh, Transformers Fortress Maximus. He's the largest 80s Transformer ever made. And then various other rare playsets like uh, Ghostbusters playset, uh, SCF-1 Robotech playset, even some prototypes mixed in here and there. I'm, I also am looking at what may be an OG Apple with the Oregon Trail flashing in green text. Yes, we have a playable Apple II. It's playable most of the time unless it goes down, but right now it's running Oregon Trail and you can play both discs. It's running off an emulator for the disk drive because the disk drive broke a long time ago. But It died of dysentery. Yes, it did die of dysentery. It did not forward or cock the river correctly. So you've got a light variety, but lots of other things for people to interact with. I mean, t- the whole point of toys is to play with them. A lot of these are behind glass where you can't play with them. But um, it seems like your one of your goals here is to bring people in here and let them have an experience. Right, and uh, help them regain those childhood memories of playing with toys. We even had one lady come in a few months ago who had suffered from a stroke, and most of her long-term memory was gone. But she remembered one of the toys that she started playing with, and it spawned the memory from her. So. How has becoming a dad changed your view of toys and, and childlike play? Uh, I have to play? put them up very high. <laughs> now, uh, I understand a lot of like 
him playing with toys and the learning process since he's so little right now and uh, like him just learning how to interact with different things and building his vocabulary through self-play and imaginative play. It's very interesting to watch. That is correct. Now spell above A B O V E. You are correct. So I looked on the uh, on the Facebooks, as the kids say, and I noticed in the past y'all did a bunch of like events, like actual hands-on kind of events. Where did those kind of crop up? Because that's not a toy, but I don't know. Right, we do resin casting, model making, mold making, and uh, silicone mask making. So that comes out of my being an art teacher originally, so we still wanted to continue that and teach people how to make their own toys. So a lot of the resin casting and mold making collectors can use to either make custom toys or they can fix their own toys. And then the silicone mask making, that was something that was requested and I do as a hobby. So it's lots of fun, like making uh, Admiral Akbar from Star Wars or just if somebody wants to make a zombie mask along those lines. And we also get uh, cultural fun grant through the city which helped out with that what is the toy community like here toy community here is pretty strong it's mostly guys my age who still want to enjoy their 80s toys their gi joes or star wars or he-mans uh we have a lot of people who come through looking for different parts and pieces for their little toys so it's pretty good and uh there's several other shops that like help support toy community outlaw moon and then uh, monkey see monkey do they have lots of vintage toys you can go buy so great place what's it like being on congress avenue with all of these stores these namesakes and you know basically the epicenter of this huge tech hub and glossy and everything i mean this is a historic building i'm looking at the walls in the back that seem old yeah and then it's just toys y'all are playing around with facebook down the street yeah we're having fun and we get lots of people in from facebook and stuff anybody that works around here we get them a little discount on playing the arcades or checking the museum out but it's a interesting switch from cesar chavez because mostly that was when we were kind of more of a destination people would have to go to see us but then down here we get a lot of the tourism coming through and a lot of the techies who work down here and stuff to come up and buy comic books or Over help support us yeah. yeah and they'll check out the museum too come and play golden eye on the n64 with their buddies so yeah, but it fun. sounds like your guests range in age and you've got older folks grandparents young kids people of all ages can come in here and find something that they're interested in yeah we try to appeal to everyone we have uh hands-on activities for everyone and uh we have a lot of 80s toys but we try to run the gamut so everyone can enjoy it when they come in like uh we are starting to incorporate more modern toys but as far as how new will go is like 2005 so. what do you foresee in the future what does 2019 have in store well, hopefully we'll start getting more cases. We just got a few off the cultural funding grant, and we always like getting community support to uh, increase the display ability of all these toys. And then we also are moving in more arcades. We're uh, trying to put on some events for people who like to play Fortnite or Call of Duty and doing some tournaments, things of that nature, and then uh, having arcade nights. We need to increase the amount of nightly events that we have, for one thing. And then also just bring in more of our toys to play with most of our toys here have been played with over time like we don't have very many packaged items and it's not very fun to display packaged items it seems like they carry a little bit of juju with them yeah i'm sure we have some haunted toys too because we have a lot of donated toys from various people so tell us about that so you are still collecting for your own personal collection and the museum has its own collection you sometimes will do you'll purchase maybe 
very desired toys, but you also will accept donations? Yeah, I personally purchase things for my collection, but uh, primarily the museum accepts donations. So anything donated to the museum is then put towards the museum's own collection, which will hopefully build over time. Having like witnessed the rise of Marvel and the importance of toys now, I mean, even Netflix has the toys that made us. Like, has it been interesting to see this kind of resurgence of stuff that you've always been into? Yeah, I think it was a slow resurgence too, because it really started in like the early 2000s and built up over time. Like you started to see Transformers coming back in the comic books or Transformers coming back in the movies and just kind of a lot of the things from the 80s having a rebirth so it's nice to see it and it's also a lot of fun for us collectors because our collections go up in value how have you been able to balance like you know the maturity level of all this i don't worry about maturity level (laughs) (laughs) now it's uh it's interesting becoming an adult and still you know being in the toy market and they're actually being a job source to be able to play with toys all day which is really nice so uh, follow, your, follow your dreams, Live basically. Dream. Follow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for letting us come in here and have a look around. And uh, really appreciate what you're doing to preserve this wonderful era of, of toy making in America. No problem. Thank you all for coming and visiting. James Gregg, welcome to I Love You So Much. Thank you. We're going to talk about something you love so much. Which are weird sports. Ski ball, dreidel spinning, axe throwing, you name it, you've tried it. Tell us how you got into this in the first place. Well, there's a very simple answer to that. Like, there's not. No, it's not a simple answer. Uh, accidentally, right? Like I, I came to Austin and I didn't know anybody except for two people. Um, and I had gone to photograph the national championships of ski ball. Because why wouldn't you photograph that? Uh, and find out there that they had leaks of three people. And I knew two people. So we, I talked them into going and joining up the league so we could meet people and do something. You know, we're in Austin. Let's do something weird. So you are a visual media editor here at The Statesman. Your background is journalism, photography, videography. Um, but you found out that you are pretty good at this stuff. Have you always been good with eye-hand coordination and i don't know throwing axes against trees i mean i wasn't good at any of it when i started well did, like were you an athlete in high school yeah but i was a bad one what kind of sports did you play i was play? like the b player i was the one that was like on the varsity team but like rode the bench on the football sidelines i was standing right next to the coach trying to get him put me in the game and he never would you were still on the team i was on special teams i made a tackle one time <laughs> so there's no coach to bench you in these sports that's one thing that connects them but what else is similar I mean, so the dreidel spinning is something that is hap- happens seasonally over at Full Circle. Axe throwing came out of the bar up in North Austin. Well, tell us a little bit about sort of these niche things that you participate in. Yeah, I mean, with all of them, it was just something that I thought would be fun to do. Uh, the uh, ski ball, I never really had ambitions to go into it wanting it to be competitive. Uh, there were a lot of people who were competitive, but there was kind of like a couple of different tiers of, of participants and there were the people that were there to hang out. That was us. Mm-hmm. There were there. There were other people who were there uh, to just get hammered, uh, and then there were other people that were there to really compete and win and cared about it. And there's about like ten percent of the league like that. So we're just hanging out, having a good time, a way to like get out of our jobs because we're all newspaper people at one point or another. After a couple of years of doing this, 
uh, I started to kind of want to figure out how to be good at it. I've always I've always been competitive, uh, even if I'm not good at the things. I want to be good at them. Uh, so at one point, I just started practicing a lot. And I started getting better and I started practicing a lot more and uh, our team sort of disbanded. We had one of our members uh, go to the New York Times and another one that uh, wanted to just spend her time and money differently. And I got adopted by a team that had been a previous champion and they were super competitive. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm getting accepted by the good ones. I'm becoming one of them. Becoming, yeah, well, I did. I, I, I was intimidated. I didn't want to let them down. Am I going to be good enough? All these things. Uh, so I practiced more and more and more and more. And so like it, it became something that was an outlet for me. And my job here is very much about other people's success. It's about what other people can do. And I'm very much a part of that. And I super love being a part of other people doing their best. That's my favorite part of what I do. But I've, I've always had this burn in me to want to do stuff. So this this was a thing that I could do that I could have some control over the outcome if I did my part and and I could have goals and like meet them and be celebrated for getting better and like all those things that, that you know that we want to do if we compete. And also these sports there's a quick learning curve. I don't want to say it's easy to get better at them but I don't know is that true? Well you could do it right anybody can go and it's it's not something that's a pass or fail like you can do it on, on any level of achievement and still have fun doing it. So it's wide open to a lot of people. There's 400 people that play skee-ball in Austin and league. And everybody from ranging from being, honestly, we probably have the best in the whole country in Austin, save for one dude in San Francisco that's probably the best. But everybody Ranging else to really me good. who like basically gets like, I don't know, 10 points after the end of the game. Yeah, there's a lot of people that they don't score high. Yeah. But, you know, our, our favorite companion team on Tuesday nights when we used to play Zanuskis was uh, three women who have been playing for, they, they were playing together when I showed up and I've been around for four and a half years and they still roll the same scores as they did before. And they're, they're middle of the road, but that's good for them. They're, they're just hanging out. They just have this relationship that they, that they spend time with each other by doing this weird thing. So when you compete, you're not competing as, I mean, you are competing as James Gregg, but do you have like a certain alias or anything to go by? Yeah, I have, I, <laughs> yeah, I have names. What? Are, okay, so if we're like different kinds of leagues or what? Yeah, so I have, it, it started with skee-ball, right? Everybody's got a, a roller name. My roller name, I, I went through a few of them, and the one I finally liked was Ray Mysterio. Mm-hmm. Actually, I am Bulls on Parade. Where were you and Dre spinning? Dr. Dreidel. That one was given to me. That's not a bad one. With those like nicknames in mind, you kind of feel that you're a different person like competing than you would be outside of wherever you are? Yeah, I haven't really thought about it that way, but I mean, I take pride in the name Mysterio. Like I, I like that name. It's, it's one that uh, I finally kind of found and that's what goes on posters and on the internet when people like talk about who's doing what. So like yeah, it's fun to to think about it as a, as a moniker. And bulls on parade, it's it's fun because the whole notion is that I'm just going to do bulls after bulls after bulls. I and I have my own theme song built in, right? Go Beastie Boys. So you say you're good, but can we talk about how good you are at what you uh, participate in? Like, please list your accolades. I'm gonna. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna steal a term from a friend of mine. 
And I'm going to say that I'm embarrassingly good at skee-ball. Embarrassingly good. I have spent an embarrassing amount of time playing skee-ball to try to get good at it. What's your highest score? Uh, well, at the Nationals, I rolled a 408, I think I hit. It was either 408 or, no, it was a 402, excuse me, as as uh, as an overall score. That's 10 frames. So it's averaging a 400 score every time. And are you getting tickets each time? Because you could be racking up a lot of stuff. You could like right even now. like a PlayStation. I wish we did you. get tickets. I really did. They, they they don't have tickets in the machines that we play on. But we did have a birthday party for a friend of ours that's in the league, and we went to the Blazer Tag, and we all played skee ball, and we got her all of the things. Oh my goodness! So other than skee ball, I think we were talking about skee ball this whole time. What um, other things are you involved in? About a year ago, I started throwing axes competitively. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty into that right now. What what kind of training does that involve? Do you have like, are you eating raw eggs in the morning? Like I should, but <laughs> I did build a target at my house so I can practice. Okay. Uh, did you already have the axes? No. Oh, before I started? No. Are there special axes? Yeah. And so are you getting as into axe throwing as you have been in skee-ball? I'm getting more into axe throwing right now and I'm kind of phasing out skee-ball. Did you even say you might be giving up skee-ball? I'm, I'm going to take a break. Yeah. Uh, so the next season, I've already... Uh, talk to my team about it, that I'm going to take a break and, and not play the next season. It's a lot to keep up with. I've got ambitions with axe throwing right now that are going to have me like taking that as seriously as what I took skee-ball early when I told you I practiced a lot. I practiced a lot. In February, I'm going to be headed to Toronto for the World Championships of the NATF, which is the National Axe Throwing Federation. It's now international, but it was called national when they started it in Canada. So its birthplace is Toronto. It's spread all over Canada and now into the U.S. There are 60 cities in 11 countries, I believe, represented and 4,500 throwers in the Federation. So it's going to be you and a bunch of lumberjacks. Probably. Well, I don't know if these are true lumberjacks. It's a bunch of hipsters who it's, like to drink and throw axes. Let's is, be honest. It, it, I'm not saying that there aren't some man buns and beards. Sure. So do you get a similar high out of throwing axes as skee balls? You know, it's, Same it's, idea, this competitive, it fans your competitive flame. I think it definitely connects with me in the in a similar way to each other. And I think that it connects to other people who do one of the things. They also like the other thing. So we've I recruited a bunch of ski ballers to come into axe throwing. And I've also recruited a bunch of axe throwers to go into ski ball. <laughs> and they, they all like it. And they all tend to do very well because they're com- very competitive. People. So why do these sports thrive in a place like Austin? Uh, well, I think that they thrive because they're fun. I think that they thrive because the demographic in Austin in particular has a lot of young professionals that are in their later 20s to middle 40s that are looking for something that they can do to break out of their regular Um, day-to-day. These things are successful everywhere that they are, but I think that they get really high turnouts in Austin um, for both of them. Austin has the largest skee-ball league uh, of all the cities that are are part of brewski-ball, and Urban Axis Austin, I believe, has... The, the highest number of leagues in all of urban access and they're, they're expanding quickly but like yeah people just take to it here There's, it's a place where people want to do stuff my last question for you is what do you get personally out of pursuing with such passion these niche competitive sports it's, it's kind of a deep rabbit hole it's, it's, it's funny because I it makes sense to me and I'm, I'm getting better at trying to explain it but like all of these things and it, it's a bunch of different activities that are just these weird things you never heard of uh, my brother jokes and he says that I'm the king of all of the weird, obscure sports that nobody knows exist. Uh, but the the process for me is very similar to what I did in my career. 
uh, I'm, I'm starting out with something that is interesting to me, but it's unknown to me. I have no idea how it works. Uh, I have to self-teach to get in, to, to get up to speed and, and try to have some kind of a goal to meet to get good at it. So it's, it's about starting off with something that's scary. Learning it, learning how to learn, learning how you get better, learning how you get good, and then being competitive against other people is something like, you know, you talk about being an athlete in high school. I wasn't successful in that. Like, these are things that, like, maybe it's because I'm older. I don't think it's because I somehow got better at stuff. I think it's because I learned how to learn and I learned how to compete. And so it's sort of a way to keep myself engaged with my younger ambitions as I get older and still infuse that back into what I do for a living, what I do in my friendships and my relationships and my family life where, you know, I just know myself so much better for the process. And I feel like it's transferable. If I were to have to do something in my professional life that I was scared of and didn't know how to do, I know what that looks like because I've walked that path through doing all these other things in my life. Well, James, good luck on the axe throwing contest next year. Excuse me, competition, championship, pursuit. Uh, I know you're going to do pretty darn well. You bet. Thanks. That's our show. And thanks for listening all year. We'll be back in 2019 with all new episodes. Our theme music is provided by local band Hardproof. To keep up with us online, we're Love Austin 360 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you get a chance please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find our podcast. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is a production of the features staff at the Austin American Statesman. And the show is produced by Alyssa Vidalis and Addie Broyles. You can find everything you'd ever want to know about this show and its contributors at austin360.com slash love austin360. And if you want to pitch us an idea for the show or give us some feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave us a voicemail at 512-912-2504. We couldn't do the show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your first edition Hot Wheels. Until next week, we'll see you sorting Legos and seeing how much they're worth on eBay.